Okay, so uh, if you guys want to, turn to Hebrews chapter 3, and uh, you might put a bookmarker there, because we think we're going to come back to it and stuff. Hebrews chapter 3. Um, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I've read this scripture, and it's kind of like, um, I think sometimes we we kind of misunderstand what it's trying to say, or, or we get, or sometimes we kind of struggle with exactly what he's trying to say. And uh, in Hebrews 3, verse 1, he says, uh, Paul is, I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, he Whoever wrote it says, Therefore, holy brethren, Partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses by just so much more as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. So it's kind of interesting here, Paul's talking about Jesus and Moses and stuff. And then he starts talking and referring back to the Israelites in the wilderness. And he says, don't be like those who harden their hearts and provoke me as in the days of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they will not enter into my rest. Look at this verse 12. Paul brings it back to the people, to the Hebrews. He says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another uh, day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it's said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as when they provoked me. For who had provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses. We all know the story about the Israelites, how they provoked God to anger, right? It says, and with, and with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter into his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Look at this again, what he refers to the, uh, the Hebrews. He says, Therefore let us fear, if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they did also. But the word that they heard did not profit, profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed entered that rest, just as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he said somewhere concerning the seventh day, now he, now he starts talking about the Sabbath, right? For he said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. So he's talking about the rest of God. In verse 6 he says, Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day, saying, to, uh, 
saying, Today, through David, after so long a time as it has been said before, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. You see that? So, again, he's warning the Hebrews. Now, again, the situation that uh, Paul or the writer of Hebrews is referring to is at, this is the early church. The early church was facing persecution not only from the Romans but also from the Jews. Um, you know, a lot of them were being killed in the Colosseum and, and so there was just this all-out persecution against Christian believers. And so... A lot of them are 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 kind of are wavering back and forth in their faith and questioning whether it's worth it to follow God, whether it's worth the price of seeing their children or their wives or their husbands, you know, killed in front of their eyes, and stuff. And so a lot of them are fearful. A lot of them are afraid of what happens if they're going to follow Christ. At the same time, they have Judaizers chasing them and saying, "Well." You can be a Christian, but you know what? If if you you know continue with the circumcision, continue with the Sabbath, continue with the all these the the rituals that have been handed down, then then that's what God expects of you also. So they had all these pressures from without and from within, trying to get them to back down from what they were uh, from what God had called them to. Okay, and so. Um, Turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at where he talked about um, the rest of God. And this whole issue of the Sabbath has, has been one that, that um, has been a little confusing for me in the past, right? And especially where he talks about, you know, we have entered into that rest and things. And there's a lot of people that teach on that kind of stuff. Well, that we have entered into the rest of Jesus. Or, or if you come into Jesus and stuff, that means that, you know, if you kind of, if you work or if you're, you're, uh, you're doing anything and it costs you anything or it's difficult or it's hard, then it's not of God, right? And they're, they're saying that, well, this whole Sabbath thing means that I don't have to do anything, basically. This whole Sabbath thing means that God's going to do it all and I'm just going to be his puppet and it's, it's going to be easy and it's never going to be strenuous and it's never going to really cost me anything, right? I mean, pretty much that's essentially what the, uh, the prosperity gospel teaches. You know, God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, wise. You're, he wants your family to be blessed. He wants your kids to be blessed. And he wants to pour out all these blessings on you. And we think that somehow we're going to live in this life, in this world, and it's going to somehow be easy for us. And, and that's what a lot of teachers teach. That's what a lot of preachers preach. And then when people go through the trials, when people go through the fire, they're not able to stand because they haven't been prepared for that. They've been taught that God just wants to bless you. He just wants to give you good things. He wants to give you a car. He wants to give you a wife. He wants to give you a house. He wants to give you all these nice things. And God does that a lot of times, right? But that doesn't negate the fact that we live in a fallen world. And as such, we will experience tribulation, right? Jesus even told his disciples, you will experience tribulation. And in Genesis 1, looking at the rest of God, in verse 31, 
This is after God had had created everything, spent the seven days, and he created the, uh, the Garden of Eden. He created all the animals, all the plants, everything, including Adam and Eve. And it says, God saw that all that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens, in, in chapter 2, verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their hosts. By the seventh day, God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all the work which God, which God had created and made. So, now what does it mean that God rested from his works? Does it mean that God was tired? Does it mean that God had done all this stuff, now he's tired, and man, I need a vacation, right? So when we look at the Sabbath, it's not in the sense of this like, well, I'm going to rest and I'm not going to have any kind of opposition or I'm not going to have any weariness or I'm not going to have to work or anything like that. When we talk about the Sabbath, it means that the work that God had intended, the work that God had planned was finished. It was accomplished, right? Um, it's the same thing when Jesus was on, on the cross. What did he say? It is finished. Right. And he told his disciples before that he was praying to the Lord. He says, Father, I've accomplished all the work which you gave me to do. Right. So when 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 it talks about in Hebrews, how God had rested from his works. Again, he's not talking about this rest where you're just in a hammock and life is good and you're you're drinking a Mai Tai and you got a hat on and everything's great and you don't have any problems or anything like that. It means that the work that you set out to do has been accomplished. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It means that there's a fulfillment that what you were called to do has been done. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, again, it is not this thing where, uh, where sometimes we get in our minds that we think that it's free from worry, free from problems. I'm going to be healthy. I'm not going to have any health issues. I'm not going to have any problems. And, again, sometime we're going to teach on this whole thing about does God want to heal everybody, right? Because I believe that God is a healer. God desires to heal people. But while we're in these mortal bodies, these bodies are made of flesh. These bodies are made of dust. And as such, just like Paul had his thorn in the flesh, just like Timothy had to drink wine for his stomach ailments, we're going to have issues while we're in this world, while we're in this life, okay? Um... Let's see, so what is, it, again, does it mean that we're never going to have to uh, exert any kind of energy, that it's never going to cost us anything, that it's not gonna, never going to be difficult? Um, you know, and, and the thing is, is a lot of times when you start talking about this, people say, well, that's just work salvation. You know, you're just working for your salvation. Well, you know, over and over in the Bible where it's talking about works, it's referring to the Jews. Jews today, we were watching this show on, on um, like some kind of documentary. Jews today, in order to keep the Sabbath, they have to have two different refrigerators, two different ovens. Wow. They have to sweep their entire house to make sure there's not a single crumb of leaven in their house. And this is what Jews do today, right? On the Sabbath, we were, we were watching that show. That some of the Jews, they won't even turn on a light switch on the Sabbath. Or they won't drive a car. They won't do anything because of the Sabbath. That is works salvation, right? And so, um, turn to Exodus chapter 14. Well, why only the Jews obey the Sabbath and we don't? We're going to get to that. 
But that's, and the thing is, is it, it was right there in Hebrews 3, and we're, that's why I say kind of keep your place there, because we're going to return back to that. Because for them, the Sabbath was a one-day-a-week thing, right? Right. Okay? Right. For us, the Bible says, when we've entered into Jesus, we have ceased from our labors. We have ceased from our works. Okay? Mm -hmm. And again, we'll talk about that more and stuff. Um, in Exodus chapter 14, this is just, we're going to look at when the Sabbath was instituted. In verse, uh, verse 11. Now, in Exodus 14, um, like, this is after God had brought them out of slavery, right? Um, I don't know if you guys have been taught this or you know this or whatever, but all the things in the Old Testament are types and shadows of the things in the New Testament, right? They're physical examples of what happens in the Spirit for us as New Testament Christians. Does that make sense? Okay? So the whole story about the Israelites being in bondage under Pharaoh and then God coming and bringing the plagues on Pharaoh to let them free from their bondages, that's a type and shadow of us as New Testament believers, how we were once in bondage to our sins, Right? Does that make sense? We were once in bondage to Satan, who was a hard taskmaster, just like Pharaoh. All that is the picture of, of God setting us free, and, and he brings us out, and then he brings us through the wilderness. And in this wilderness place, this place is every single person has to go through the wilderness, right? And this is a place where we're, we're buffeted by the powers of darkness. I mean, we... We know young believers right now who are going through all kinds of situations, right? And they keep going, like, when is this ever going to end? And this is like the people in the wilderness. They would go to one place and there'd be no water. I mean, think about it. Like, there were millions of people who, who were rescued out of Egypt, right? Imagine if you were one of those people. Imagine you got a wife, you got children, you've got, you've got animals to feed. You would be very concerned about what are we going to eat. You're in a desert. There's not food everywhere. There's not water everywhere. There's no grocery stores. And so it's going to be a very major and very real concern on your mind. If, what am I going to feed my kids? What am I going to give them a drink? Right? And so in, in Exodus chapter 13, they, they grumbled against God because there's no water. Right? And then they grumbled against God because there's nothing for them to eat. And so God gives them manna. He gives them all, he, he gives them all this stuff in response to their grumbling. Does that make sense? I mean, we've all read the stories about how they just grumble and grumble and complain and grumble and complain. And God gets them out of one mess and they, you know, brings them out of it. And then they fall into another mess and they grumble and complain again. Right? So in Exodus 14, verse 11, um, when, when, okay, in verse thir in chapter 13, they had grumbled for food, and God gave them food, right? And in 13, it says, then, But Moses said to people, right? <laughs> okay. Anyway, okay, in Exodus 14, look at what they say in verse 11. Okay, so this is when God sets them free from, from the Egyptians and the Egyptians are chasing after them and they come to the Red Sea, right? And in verse 11, it says, Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? 
Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Now, what did we learn from, ex, uh, from before this? That they were crying out for a deliverer. In all their 400 years of bondage, they were crying out to the Lord, Lord, save us, deliver us, send someone to set us free from this. Now they're saying, why, why did you bring us out here? This is not what we wanted. All right? And in verse 12, is this not the word which we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here in the wilderness. You see that? And that's what happens to a lot of believers, right? We get, we get saved and God does these awesome things in our lives. I mean, I, all of us have witnessed someone who gets saved, right? I, I, we have seen so many people come to the Lord and they're like, man, this is what I want. And like even that, that guy that we had here that one night that came off the streets, I can't remember his name or whatever. Marvin. That night, Marvin, right. That night he wanted the Lord. And he was ready to do whatever it takes. I mean, we were even asking him, are you sure this is what you want, right? And he was ready for that. But then, you know, the next day what happens is the enemy sends out the chariots, right? And, and, and that's what the enemy does is like people come to the Lord and people want to get saved and they see their problems and they see their bondage and they cry out in their bondage and the Lord sets them free. And as long as things are okay, then they're like, yeah, this is great. But then adversity comes, you know, something happens to their kids or their job or, you know, something doesn't happen right and stuff. And they're like, you know what? It was so much better before I got saved, Right. And we begin to remember, and it's like, why, why did I become a Christian? I was having so much fun partying and, you know, and things, and I was having so much fun in our bondage. And this is what happens to so many believers, and this is what Satan does. Satan, and that's why, guys, you know, Paul said over and over, he says, I do not cease to pray for you right? Whenever Paul led people to the Lord, it wasn't something that he just came into town, preached the gospel, and then he went to another town. Like sometimes he would stay for months in the same place. And even when he left, he would tell him, I do not cease to pray for you people. Because he knew that the enemy has a plan. Satan's not just going to let his captives go. He's going to come out, with, out after them with full force to try to get them back, right? Or to try to destroy that walk with God. I mean, it's the whole thing about the parable of the sowers, right? As soon as the seed is sown, the birds come and snatch it, right? And so this is the scheme and the, and the tricks, and this is what Satan does. And that's why, guys, whenever we preach the gospel to people, there must be an element of, look, you have to count the cost. You have to decide, is this truly what you want? Because life is not going to be all rosy. Life is not just going to suddenly become, you know, the sun's going to shine and the birds are singing and it's all beautiful and rosy and stuff. You are going to get hit by a storm, I promise you. And it will happen. But it's like, are you going to stand when the storm comes? Are you going to... Uh, withstand to the end because it's not going to last forever right no storm lasts forever but that's what we get in our minds right even we as believers when we're going through trials we're like you know how long is this going to happen i mean those guys were in the wilderness for 40 years i mean they had to be asking themselves the same questions wow. how long is this going to go on 
You know, how long do we have to walk around? And they're going in circles and they're passing the same rocks that they've seen before and they're passing the same mountain that they've been by before and they're like, what, what is taking, why is this happening? And that's the same thing that happens in our lives. We see these same struggles. We see these same, you know, um, the gossiping or the backbiting or the lust or whatever it is. And it's like, how long am I going to, you know, keep going around this mountain, Right. And so that's what happens in, when we're in the wilderness. But the whole thing of that is, is God wanted to bring them through the wilderness. It was never God's desire to leave them in the wilderness. And it certainly was not God's desire that they die there. Right? And so, and, and that goes against this whole Calvinistic thing that everything that happens is the will of God. No, it's not the will of God. They thwarted the will of God because they would not obey. Because they would not, you know, do what God called them to do. It was not, again, it was not his desire that they die there in the wilderness. Um, but they grumbled time and time again, and, and everything that God brought them through. Um, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so, and the, the whole thing about this is, is this, I think it's going to give us a perspective on our trials, right? Again, we, we kind of get this subconscious thing that, you know, well, now that I'm a Christian, I'm not going to have these trials. I'm not going to have these things. Everything's going to be easy. And I, I, you know, I went through that. I remember when I first got saved and, and like things are not going right and people are not, you know, liking me and, um, you know, my friends are leaving me and my job's not doing, you know, what I thought it would, you know. And it's like, God, why is this? You know, I thought I was going to be blessed. And that's the whole thing, this whole thing about blessing. We think, you know, God's view of blessing is not the same as our view of blessing. You know, we think that blessing is as well, you know, this, the, again, the house and the cars and the wife and the husband and the dog and the cat and the, all these wonderful things and everything's rosy and every time I need money, it's there. Every time I, I pray for someone, they get healed. Every, you know what I'm saying? And it doesn't always happen that way. God's idea of blessing is completely different than ours is. And again, it's because God looks at the long term, right? We look at the short term. We look at the situation that I'm in right now. And God looks down the line, right? Mm -hmm. He sees, the thing is, is God knows where he's taking us, mm -hmm. right? God knew where he was taking them, but he couldn't because they, they grumbled. They complained and they would not believe. They would not trust him. And in Deuteronomy 6, Looking at what we were talking about. Verse 1 says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, and that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess. So that you and your son, and then this is after he'd given them the Ten Commandments, right? He says, So that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is 
the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you will teach them diligently to your son and you will talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You will bind them as a sign on your hand and they will be as frontals on your forehead. You will write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Then it will come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which we swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you see that? He says, so this is again God before he swore that they wouldn't enter in. He's saying, these are the things that are going to happen when I bring you in. So again, it was God's heart. It was his desire to bring them into the land of Canaan. And he's saying, this will, in verse 10, he says, Then it will come about that when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of all the good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive, olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and you're satisfied. Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery." You will fear only the Lord your God, and you will worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you. For the Lord your God is in the midst of the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you, and he will wipe you off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. You you should delegate Diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may be well with you and that you may go in and possess the good land which, is for, which the Lord swore to give to your fathers by driving out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. So, again, so the main way that most of us have believers, most believers don't enter in is because, again, we have this gospel that says, well, you know, Jesus loves you just as you are, and he will accept you, and he'll, you know, he'll be your God and all this, and there's no word of repentance, right? And just like the people of Israel, how they did the golden calf and, and all this, they weren't able to enter in, right? And so we're we, especially in America, we teach this half gospel that that's all that's it's all about Jesus loves you, he wants to bless you, he wants to, you know, give you all these things and stuff like that. And people don't change. And if we don't change, we're not gonna enter in. We, there's no you know, because Jesus is salvation, right? He is the land, okay? So when we enter into salvation, we enter into Jesus, and we're not going to enter into Jesus if we refuse to repent, if we refuse to change our lives, right? So again, the number one trick, the first trick of the enemy is to try to get us to, to become Christians without ever changing. And there, there are so many churches that we can go to that, that are like that, and that's the gospel that they preach. God loves you. And he's just going to bless you. And all you got to do is come to this church and pay your tithes and be just a good standing member of the church. And God's going to bless you and he's going to welcome you, right? Without any kind of word of change or repentance and stuff. God, again, wants to bring us in. but And, and that's the thing with that desert situation. And again, God brings us through these trials. And that's the first thing that he starts to do is he starts to show us our sins, Right? He starts, to say, he starts to point us out, hey man, you've got a gossiping problem, right? Or you've got a, you've got a lying problem, 
or you've got a lust problem, or you've got an unforgiveness, whatever it is, God begins to point those things in our lives. Those are the first things he points out, right? These are the steps in the journey in the wilderness that God brings us to. And he says, you know what? I want you to deal with this. And I want you to deal with this so that I can bring you into the promised land, right? So I can bring you into the fullness and everything. And it's like, but if we refuse to deal with those things, then we're not gonna we're not gonna get anywhere. Um, turn to First Corinthians chapter ten. And again, uh, the writer of Hebrews um, was using these the people in the wilderness as an example of Christians of Christianity, right? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, Paul says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren. Again, he's speaking to modern day Christians and he's using the Old Testament as his reference. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So this is people that have had some spiritual work done, right? These are people that have met with the Lord, right? They met with God at the mountain of, uh, you know, where he gave them the commandments and stuff, right? And, and so this is an example, again, of not just people who say a prayer, but these people are people who are entering into a relationship with Jesus, Right? They've, they've gone past just the, you know, the talk and things like that. And they're actually stepping out of their bondages, out of the control of Satan. And they're stepping into the place where God and the Holy Spirit is leading them, right? He says that these people have been baptized. They've, they ate spiritual food. Um, he says, verse 3, they all ate the same spiritual food and they all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. In verse 5, he says, Nevertheless, um, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. And that, he says in verse 6, Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Look at verse 11. Now these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, look at this in verse 12. Let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. I mean, that stuff is sobering. And I read about the people in the wilderness, and I read about the things that they did, and how many chances God gave them. God was so gracious and so merciful. But again, we, we've gotten all this teaching that, you know, the grace of God will never run dry. You can do whatever. You can keep on and keep on and keep on, and God's just going to forgive and forgive and forgive. There comes a point. And that the writer, the New Testament writers are writing, look, don't be like these people who came to the end of God's grace, where God says, no more, right? He says, these were examples for us. 
Well, and think about Saul as well, right? Yeah. Like, who who he 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 grew in stature among men and among God, and mm-hmm. like he you know he was a pinnacle of an example. But then towards the end of his life, how much what more was he not? And how much right. is that a warning for us to you know? It doesn't matter whether you're you know, you know, super you know on top of things today. You need to check check yourself daily and take your right. take each thought captive to the you know obedience of Christ. Yeah, and and that's the thing as believers, it's not about it's, it's about, you know, again, it's about following the Lord always, right? It's about a change of life to where I'm not living like that anymore. I've left forever my sins. I've left forever Egypt and I don't want to go back to Egypt. Right? I'm not going to get in a bad situation and say, "Man, sure was good back in Egypt." Turn to Joshua chapter 1. So that's what happened to the people in Exodus and things like that. And in Joshua, so what we're doing is we're looking at the Old Testament Israelites and we're getting the parallels, right? Right. Now, in in Joshua chapter 1, after Moses died, and we know the story, only two people from that entire generation were able to enter the promised land. Wow. Only two people, right? That was... Joshua and Caleb. Yeah. And so to get into the promised land, you had to go through the Jordan, right? And the, the name Jordan means a place of descending, a place of, of um, let's see. Yeah, a place where you go down. Basically, it's a place of where you're dying to yourself, right? And so, again, to enter into Jesus, you have to go through that process of dying to yourself. And uh, it starts with the sins and the major things and, and the, you know, the pornography and the, the things that we're practicing. You know, God really begins the, you know, the anger issues or whatever. God deals with those things. And then he starts to go deeper into why we think the way we think, right? Why we do the things that we do and the motives behind who we are. Because the thing is, is a lot of time as believers, what we do is we clean out, uh, almost like the Pharisees, we clean the outside of the cup where we look okay to everybody else, right? We look like we're just, we're great people. We look like we got it all together and stuff, but inwardly we're still practicing things we ought not, right? So this is the thing about the Jordan. When God, when when the Lord starts just to bring us into the fulfillment, into the promised land, and a lot of people used to teach back in the, Back in the day that, the, you know, the promised land was heaven. The promised land is not heaven. The promised land is salvation, right? The fullness of who Jesus is. Because when we get to heaven, we're not going to be fighting any enemies, right? And that's, you know, over and over in the, in the Old Testament, they were complete. They were always fighting their enemies and stuff. And, you know, if you read through the book of Joshua, I mean, over and over in the book of Joshua, turn to actually Joshua chapter 24. It was just a story of them going into the promised land. And in chapter 1, God had promised them, you know what, everywhere you go, I'm going to go with you, right? Everywhere the place, uh, the sole of your foot treads, I'm gonna, I've already given it to you, right? But he says, only be careful to obey the commandments, right? And stuff. And then Joshua 24, so Joshua, the book of Joshua is just one long um it's a book about their fights and their struggles to get once they're in the land. And that's the thing with us as believers. Again, once we come into Jesus, it doesn't mean things are going to get easier. Sometimes, as a matter of fact, things get harder. As a matter of fact, 
The Christian life for me has been harder than my life ever was as an unbeliever. Right. Right? Because as an unbeliever, you're like, you're like an animal. And you live like an animal. You do what makes your flesh feel good. If you want to eat, you eat. If you want to, you know, whatever an animal does, that's what you do and stuff. But as a believer, you have to make choices. You have to make choices every day. Sometimes you're making choices minute by minute or second by second. Is this how I want to live? Is this what I want to do? Is this, you know what I'm saying? And so it's that Jordan experience where you're going down and you're dying to yourself. And in Joshua 5, I mean, sorry, 24, verse 5. Joshua 24? Joshua 5? Verse 24, verse 5. This is when, um, basically, you know, the whole book of Joshua has happened and Joshua is old and he's dying and basically he recounts everything that happened with the Israelites while he was alive. And he's talking about, in verse 5, he says, Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt by what I did in its midst, and afterwards I brought you out. I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and Egypt pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. But when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and brought the sea upon them and covered them, and your own eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you into the land of the Amorites who lived beyond the Jordan, and they fought with you, and they gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land. Then I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, which we talked about one time, king of Moab, rose and fought against Israel, and he sent and summoned Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I was not willing to listen to Balaam, so he had to bless you, and I delivered you from his hand. You crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the citizens of Jericho fought against you, and the Amorite, and the Perizzite, and the Canaanite, and the Hittite, and the Girgashite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Thus I gave them into your hand. Then I sent the hornet before you, and it drove out the two kings of the Amorites from before you, but not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities which you had not built, and you lived in them, and you are eating of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. So now if you read that, it sounds like it was a cakewalk, right? They just went into the promised land, you know, they told everybody, hey, we're here, and the enemies just left. But if you read the book of Joshua over and over and over, they had to fight for every scrap of land that they took. And again, we as believers, we, to, to get victory, to put, I don't know if you guys, about you guys, but in my mind, I have a vision of the person that God wants me to be. Right, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I have a vision of what, you know, of a person who walks with the Lord, who doesn't compromise, who, who's brave and fearless and doesn't, you know, give in to his emotions and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But then I find in my daily life, it's not always that way. And a lot of times it's not that way. Right. And that's the thing, is to get to where we have been called to be is going to be a fight. And God will be with us, and God will strengthen us, and He will give us victory. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to lose people along the way, right? And that doesn't mean that there won't be heartaches. It doesn't mean that there won't be tears. There's going to be lots of tears. I mean, we, we, there's so many tears and there's so many heartaches. There are sleepless nights where we pray for people that are suffering and, or people that are not following the Lord and stuff. And it's, so it's not this cakewalk. And it never will be. It's going to be a fight until we're not on, 
on this planet anymore. And so God has given us the victory. He has given us, uh, he has given us those things. And in a sense, we are who he has called us to be, but we have to walk it out. And that means every day getting up and putting on our armor, knowing that today I'm going to face an enemy who wants to destroy me. I'm going to face an enemy who wants to destroy my family, who wants to destroy my marriage, who wants to destroy my finances, who, who wants to destroy everything about me, right? And again, this is the world that we are living in. But the thing is, 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 is that how do we face that, right? Um, and God is going to be with us. In, in Joshua 21, I'll just read it for you. You don't have to turn there. In verse 43, it says, So the Lord gave Israel all the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they possessed it and lived in it. And the Lord, look at this, the Lord gave them rest on every side according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And no one of all their enemies stood before them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hand. Not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. You know, and, and that's the thing. Sometimes the Lord will give us promises, right? And and we'll go, it's like we, we go through hell and it's like we don't see the answer and we don't see the fruition and stuff. And then sometimes like we look at our lives and we look back on our lives and we see where we've come from and we see the, the fight and the struggle that we had to fight to get where we are. But then we look right now and it's like, God, you brought me to this place, you brought me to a place where I have victory over my anger now, right? And there's things where God get, has granted us the victory and stuff. But it's, again, it's a hand-in-hand -hand thing. We work with the Lord, right? We fight the enemies. We fight the battles. But it's God who gives us the victory. He gives us the, the wisdom, the intelligence, and the ability to overcome our enemies, right? And stuff, and so the Old Testament, even after the people entered in through Joshua and stuff, even the whole the whole Old Testament is a book about them fighting against their enemies. And as long as they were following God with all their all their hearts, He gave them victory. But as soon as they turned to their idols or turned away from God, they would be destroyed and stuff. And so again, the Bible is a book about defeat for those who don't follow God fully and it's about victory look at how God gave David victory right and the thing is 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 it's like people is so what is the rest and people throughout the Bible have found that rest right turn to uh, like like Shadrach Meshach and Abednego turn to Daniel chapter 3 they found that rest Y'all know the story of them, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And in Daniel 3, verse... Um, we, we all know the story about how Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to worship the image that he had and stuff, but they wouldn't, right? And so he threw them into the furnace, right? And, and it says that, like, Nebuchadnezzar looked into the furnace, and it says that, that there was another one like the Son of Man with them in their furnace, Right? And so Nebuchadnezzar has them brought out and stuff. And he says, their clothes don't even smell like fire. Right? So where did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find that rest? Did they find it 
when uh, when they were in the furnace. It's, in, look in verse 16 in Daniel 3. So this is when Nebuchadnezzar is threatening them. He's like, if you do not bow down to me, if you don't worship, um, if you don't worship me, I'm going to throw you into the furnace. And look at what they say in verse um, verse um, 16. No. Oh. In verse 16, he says, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this manner. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Look at this. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Wow. You see that? They did not find their rest when they were in the furnace. The rest was already there, right? And it's just like David says, even in the midst, the presence of my enemies, you have set a table before me. This is the rest, right? Turn back to, um, let's see. Um, well, hold on there. That's the thing. The rest is not, the rest is trust. And I find that, I don't know about you guys, but I find that as a believer, my biggest problem is finding that trust. Right? Yeah, when you're in a situation, when your workmates, you're not getting along with them, or your manager wants you to do something that you don't want to do, or people are angry at you, you know what I'm saying? When we're in life storms, a lot of times I struggle to find that rest. And basically, the rest is just trusting the Lord in every situation, right? Someone that you know, you find out they have cancer. Someone that you know is, you know, their 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 marriage is falling apart, right? And then in that moment, we rise up in our anger or we rise up in our flesh, right? And I, I look at those situations and I'm like, I am just like the people in the wilderness. It's like, how many times do I have to go past this trial before I start learning? And honestly, it kind of scares me a little bit, right? Because he says, beware that you be like them and stuff. And there's warnings, do not be like them and stuff. And that's the whole thing that God is trying to get us to. That is the whole reason why, you know, God could have brought them straight through the wilderness without a single trial. Right, without them ever being thirsty, he could have brought them straight. God knows where every single water place in the desert was. God knew he he could have brought them straight to that place. Why did he allow them to go through these trials? To change their hearts, right? Because my number one problem is unbelief. My number one problem is I still want to cling to myself. My abilities to get me, because we're all, we're, we're self-protectors, right? And, and that's something we've had to learn in the world. And we, we learned growing up because our families were terrible or because our life situations were horrible. So we've learned to protect ourselves. We learned how to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps or how to get ourselves out of jams, how to talk our way out of situations, how to outthink people and stuff, right? And, and so... What happens is we fall into these situations and we revert back to our past, right? We, we, we want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to that person that I used to be, that deceiver, right? That, that 
the heel grabber that Jacob used to be. We want to revert back to that. This is why God brings us through trials. And he allows things to happen in our lives. Sometimes the weight is crushing when we experience these things. And we're like, I can't do this. And that's what God wants us to do. Right? He wants us to cry out to him in these moments. And he wants us to say, you know what? I can't do it. Because we can't. He will bring us to places that we can't do it. He will bring us to the Red Sea where there's no outs. If God doesn't come through for us, we're sunk. And the problem with the people in the wilderness is they never learned that. Every time they came to a bad situation, every time they came to something unexpected, and believe me, God will always surprise you. You can think, oh, I'm going to be on the alert, and I'm going to watch, and I'm going to see when something's going to happen that's going to be a trial, and I'm going to pass that trial. And I'm telling you, it will never hit you in the way that you think it's going to hit you, ever. And God does that because he's trying to get to our innermost heart. And that's the rest. When we can come into that place where it's like, Jesus, I trust you no matter what. That's why Paul, man, he's, he was beaten times without number. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned. And he was he was beaten and lashed and stuff like that and yet in prison him and Silas are sitting there worshiping the God you know and again how many times are we in situations where like you know like married people if there's a you know or, or business partners or whatever you're in a bad situation the first thing that you do is begin to fight with the person that's closest to you right and we we give into our flesh and we fight and we we bicker and and, it's, and this is not just an Old Testament thing. You see it all through the New Testament. As soon as people would face hardships or, or trials or fire or something like that, they'd begin to fight and devour one another. They begin to fight with each other. They begin to, you're my problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's like we always like, it's that woman you gave me. Or it's that job you gave me. You know, and it's like, you know, it's like you loved that job the first day you had it, right? You were so grateful to have that job. Now you're like, I hate this job, right? And I, I have to, I have to confess, I, I grumble and complain about my job all the time. And it's like, sometimes I'm doing it and I'm like, oh my God, I'm in so much trouble. Because this is the thing, it's like, God, why won't you set me free from this job? God's like, I want you at that job, Right? And so many times we're like, God, if I could just win the lottery, you know, and stuff, I'd be such a good boy. We have no idea what we would be. You know what I'm saying? You know, everybody thinks they'd be great, right? We think that we'd be the most magnanimous person, that we'd help everybody, we'd pet kitties and do all these wonderful things and stuff. But, you know, most of us, if it's just like everybody, or not everybody, but so many stories you hear of the lot, people getting the lottery and they just turn into monsters, Right? If we received the blessings that we want in fullness, who knows what we would become. And and sometimes I think it's God's mercy that we don't receive all that. Uh, sometimes, you know, you think about your the thing that you want most from God, and it's like, maybe if you had that, it might destroy you. I'm not saying it would. I'm not saying it wouldn't. But maybe. Because again, we don't know our own hearts. We think that we're so good. We think, man, I'm, I'm just the coolest thing, you know. 
and stuff and we're not and it's like you know I, I'm t I'm telling you so much it you know um, blessing abundance is a bigger uh, popularity all these things are a bigger trial than than any kind of rejection any kind of poverty any kind of you know what I'm saying a lot of times poverty a lot of times uh, being sick a lot of times um, being broken those bring out the best in people sometimes right but sometimes when you got it all that brings out the worst in you right it's like you know it's like the child we've all seen that's been given everything from its parent and it's a terror and stuff and you know and so we need to enter into that rest where Jesus is there. No matter what happens to our lives, I am content. Paul said, I have learned, I've been, I have abounded and I have abased and I have learned to be content in no matter what situation God brings me into. That is the secret. That is the place where God wants to bring us. And That's that's the hardest place to come to. It really, really is. Especially, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, under Constantine, Christianity became uh, legal and became the state religion. And I think it's been one of the worst things to ever happen. Because the church is always, the there's a quote that says, the church thrives on the blood of the martyrs. Like you see it even in the world today, the places where the church is being persecuted is where it's the strongest. And it always has been because, you know, that's the place where Jesus comes and meets us. He meets us in that fire. He meets us in that place because, you know, in, in, if, we, if we're like just worshiping him and we're just like, Lord, whatever you bring me through, I know you're with me here. And I will walk with you through this no matter what it is and stuff. And I will be content in that. And I'm not saying that, you know, don't seek the Lord for these things. I'm not saying that at all. You know, Paul had the thorn in his flesh. Um, he cried out to the Lord that three times for God to deliver him. And God finally told him, you know what? My grace is sufficient for you. Now, I, I don't know what the thorn in the flesh was, but you know what? Paul sought to be free from it. And he didn't stop seeking for that until the Lord told him, okay, Paul, it's time for you to quit. My grace is sufficient for you. And, that's what, and Paul's like, okay. And so... Again, God wants to bring us, and that is to trust. You know, that's the whole thing that God was trying to bring the people to. Uh, turn to Matthew 11. And this is what this scripture means, because I think a lot of people kind of put a wrong twist on this scripture. In Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And again, if you follow the Lord for any amount of time, you know that it's not just all daisies and roses and everything's wonderful. But the thing is, is I think that just like the uh, Meshach, Abednego, and... and Shadrach, I think that we can find a place in Jesus where it's like, it doesn't matter what I'm going through. 
It does not matter because He is here. He has promised to never leave us or forsake us. And that's what that scripture means. That scripture doesn't mean you can go out and sin and live like the devil and He's not going to leave you. That is not at all what that means. It means if you're following Him and you're walking with Him and you're trusting in Him and you're giving Him all your heart, He will never leave you in that place. And that's the thing. We as believers, we hold back from Him, don't we? There are parts of our heart that we don't want to give. Lord, I don't trust you. Right? It's all a trust issue. It's like, God, I can't trust you with this. I have to protect that. I have to, because I've never had anybody. Or I've, You know what I'm saying? And that's, that's what belief in Jesus is. It's not believing in this person, this just this, okay, I believe this person existed 2,000 years ago and he wore sandals and he did all these good things. That's not what believing in Jesus is. Believing in Jesus means I'm taking everything and I'm going all in, right? I am putting everything that I own on the line and saying it all belongs to you and I'm not keeping any of it. I don't know about you guys, but I this really convicts me. I mean, it just... And so when... So Jesus wants us to be yoked with him. But again, when, when you're yoked with the Lord, what are, what are oxen? They're, they're work animals, right? They work. They're, they're plowing fields. They're doing, they're doing work. And God has called us to work, right? What, what, physically and spiritually. Um, that's why he says to men, if, if, you know, if, if they're not working, let them not eat, right? And so we as believers are supposed to, and that's why... Uh, we were talking to somebody this week about like this whole end times thing and this person was really kind of getting a little freaked out and stuff. The whole thing about Thessalonians is was written to people that were sitting around not doing anything, just waiting for Jesus to come back. God has not called us to sit around and wait for Jesus to come back. He says, be found doing when I return, right? Mm -hmm. And to those people, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. So it doesn't matter. We are just living our lives. I don't care what happens, right, out there. I don't care about all this. In I don't care about any of that. All I care about, all I have control over is me, right, and how I walk with the Lord and how I deal with him. If, 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 if the Pope turns out to be the Antichrist, well, so be it. It doesn't affect my life, right? And if it does, I'm still going to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing, which is following Jesus. So it, it really has no effect on us. Um, turn, to, um, turn to Revelations chapter 2. Actually, before that, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Now, and the thing is, is the Bible says that when we repent, that the Lord gives us seasons of refreshing and stuff. And God does do that, right? God comes through. I mean, there's times when we're fighting and we're like, we got arrows sticking out of us and, you know, sword parts and things like that. And we're like, oh my gosh, is it ever going to end, right? But then there's other times when the Lord sends times of refreshing on us, right? And we have peace and we're not fighting and stuff and everything is wonderful and we're singing Kumbaya and roasting marshmallows and things like that. But the thing is, is that we have to know that there will be tribulation. And through many trials and tribulations, we have to go to enter the kingdom of heaven. Amen. And so 
hey, if life is great for you today, that's awesome. That doesn't mean it's going to be that way tomorrow. And so, again, we have to every day get up and put on our sword, put on our shield, put on our, our weapons, right? And that's the thing with us as believers. Sometimes we get lulled in this false kind of peace thing and like, oh, everything's great. Everything's rosy. And then, boom, we get hit. Know for a fact, if you are not going through a storm today, you will be going through a storm at some point. But he's going to be here in the boat, right? Yes. Um, <clears throat> In Deuteronomy chapter 1, um, starting in verse 25, it says, Then they took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us, and they brought us back a report and said, This is Caleb and Joshua. It is a good land which the Lord our God is about mm. to give us. Of course, we know that they carried one great cluster on poles. That was how fruitful the land mm. was. It says, Yet you were not willing to go up, and instead you rebelled against the command of the Lord, and you grumbled in your tents and said, does the Lord hate us that he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Mm. And what the Lord's been showing me lately is it's, it's really all about perspective. So Caleb and Joshua knew, they, say, they saw the same thing. They all saw the same thing, but perspective made it different. So they saw the giants. They saw how big they were. They saw how numerous they were. There were millions of people that they were going to have to defeat. And, um, and they were totally outnumbered, but their perspective was, look at the fruit, look, mm. at, the, look at the reward. And then the other spies were looking at the difficulties. Mm. And I think it's really important for us to, to understand that, yes, we have giants to fight, and yes, we have, will have trial, and yes, we will have difficulty. But before the joy set before Christ, he endured the cross. And I think it's important for us to also look at the joy, look at the mm. reward, look mm -hmm. at the anointing and all those things that come with being in union with Christ um, because if we're focusing on the enemy so much that we we can't look at the reward then we are going to get defeated and unbelief we're going to get defeated and fear we're going to get defeated and just being overwhelmed and so for me I feel like the Lord is telling me to change my perspective that yes it is difficult yes these trials aren't going to end they're going to be you're going to be battling giants till you're in heaven and um but don't let that weary your heart because there's so much more pleasure in his presence than yeah. anything the enemy can do that's why the psalms are so awesome I, I don't know which psalm it was but like david's like why so downcast oh my soul mm -hmm. put your hope in god for i will yet trust in him 